Welcome to Vicious Whispers with Mark Tullius, your source for horror, sci-fi, suspense, and all things violent. Thank you so much for joining me today on Vicious Whispers with Mark Tullius. At the end of the episode, I will share a story from Twisted Reunion. That story is Each Dawn I Die, the first one in the book. I was reminded of it when I was talking last week on Slasher Sports Cinema with Billy Graves. Awesome podcast. Definitely check that out if you have time. Really enjoyed that conversation. But Billy had picked up Twisted Reunion and had started it. Really was enjoying Each Dawn I Die. So I thought that was super cool. I'm actually going to have him on next week because he is a huge horror fan. Loves movies. So I was like, I don't watch horror movies. Why not have him come on, give us some top picks for Halloween? thought you guys might enjoy that. Plus, I really wanted to talk to him some more. Very interesting guy. We had a lot in common. In the meantime, let's talk about why I don't have a guest on today. When I interviewed Rico Trini, we were talking about CTE and different people I wanted to interview. I was planning on interviewing Chris Boyce, the founder of the support group. But I also realized I was just too overwhelmed. I completely shut down on everything. So... A couple of weeks ago, I had mentioned I was doing a TikTok challenge. I was doing that, and it was just I something not a challenge, like not, not an official challenge. It was something I was pushing myself to do. Say, like, okay, let's do three videos a day. I can do it. And the more I did, I realized I'm just not enjoying this. I'd rather not do it. Really, don't have time for it. Or th- those are the things I'm saying in my head. But then I was just re- withdrawing from social media altogether. Didn't respond to Chris. Didn't set up the meeting like I was going to. So just a lot of behavior I'm, I'm used to. It's just when I get overwhelmed, I think I just shut everything down. Another thing I was doing was becoming really addicted to Duolingo. I've been kind of ridiculous on that the last couple weeks. I think last six weeks, I've been in the top level, what is the Diamond League. And I wanted to get to the very top. I was like, oh, if I get to the top three, I was like, that's pretty cool. This week, I really applied myself. I've been spending, anytime I have some free time, I go right to it. And that's what I've been practicing. Just trying to get points, not really caring about learning. I'm almost through all unit one of Spanish. And then I keep playing around with the German. But I'm probably not learning a whole lot. I'm not doing it to learn. I realize I'm doing it because I want to preoccupy my mind. I want to, and it does feel good. It, It probably, it feels like it makes my brain race a little bit, getting a little bit sharper probably is good for me, but like this week, I probably spent a lot of time on it that I could have been applying to something else. So even though it was a much more positive addiction than things that have been in the past, like I used to be addicted to Clash of Clans where I would spend way too much time on that little stupid game, or there's another one before that. So this is way more productive, but it's still a lot of time that I am putting into it. So I want to start using that time for something else. So instead of spending all that time on there, I I still will spend some time on there. I'll still do my daily. I'll I'll just, I won't make the point such a big thing. I won't make it all about my ego and having to be one of the best. Instead, I will put that time into marketing. I have all these notes, all these ideas that I need to, or that I would like to put, get done, that I would like to implement. But the story I always tell myself is I don't have time. I don't have time. You know, all I've been doing this week, besides the Duolingo, the majority of my time has been spent, well, taking care of my family, cooking, cleaning, all that stuff. The rest of my time has been spent reading Try Not to Die at Ghostland. Duncan Ralston sent me the 
main path. It is awesome. I'm nearly done with it. Super cool. Long, way longer than the others. You guys are in for a real, like a, a really cool book. So that has been taken up sometime. And then I've also been writing, trying to die at death. That's really trying to knock out these scenes. I feel really confident. I think we just finished chapter 11. I did a couple of death scenes, just rough drafts. But, you know, thinking about it. So between the writing of that, the reading of Ghostland, the taking care of the family, the trying to set up some interviews, I just been, yeah, it's, it's kind of been a lot. And yesterday, my daughter didn't go to school. She had a migraine, so she stayed home. And then my son got hit in the head with a soccer ball or something, and we brought him home early. So my writing day was gone. I thought I was going to have much more time. My son came down. It was a couple hours after he'd been home. And he's like, how much work do you have left? And I was thinking about it like, shit. I was like, well, I got all of this. And then we got this. And then he's going to have to do that. And, and then I showed him my list. And I just, I was like, this is ridiculous. So like, he wants to play with me right now. He's asking that because he wants to do something with me. He wants to play. So I put it down. I was like, I was like dude, I was like, I got a lot of work. Said, but I don't need to do it now. It's always going to be there. There's no real rush. I said, let's go do something fun. So we ended up playing a game we hadn't played before in in a pickle. Something like that. It was a, it was a word game, but it was fun. It was something that we did together. He had a good time. So I'm glad I made that decision. I'm glad I didn't let you know my plans of what I had wanted to do. That my my desire to finish these things get in the way of actually spending time with my son, having fun with him. Another really cool thing we've been doing is been forcing him to work out with me probably I think it's three to four days a week when he has his volleyball practice he doesn't need to if he had a really rough day at school rough and did PE and was active I'm not going to force it but and I told him it doesn't matter what we're doing it could be yoga it could be boxing it could be whatever I said but we're doing something something physical something that's going to be good for your brain something that's going to be good for your body one really cool thing we just found was on the tonal which I almost never use but I've been starting to use it more with him because he's interested in the weights. But more importantly, the we just put on the programs. They have different like boxing programs. It's essentially like watching it on YouTube. I could be doing the same thing watching on YouTube. But happen to be doing it on the tonal. They have a really cool program called Family Fitness. So we did that one two days ago. And it included boxing, moving, but it was just a lot of fun. He was really into it. We bonded. It was cool to work out with him. I got a little bit of, I got a, I shouldn't say a little bit. It was a good workout. So I got a good workout with him as well. So that was a lot of fun. I want to do more of that. So we shall see how this next week goes. Let's see if I can pour all my time, all this energy into researching marketing techniques and implementing them. So I've done lots of research before. Now it's time to pull the trigger, actually do it. I, just have, I have so many books. I don't do anything with them. I don't do what I should be doing with them, So, which is properly market them. So this week, that is what I will be studying. Instead of Spanish or German, I will be studying some marketing. Now, and spending time with my family because we, like we said, most important thing. I also felt bad because in last week's newsletter, I was talking about a conversation I had with my son where he was mentioning how many friends I had. He was just surprised. And he just thought it was really cool that I have friends from all these different walks of life. So I have my author friends. I have my jujitsu friends. I have my fighting friends. I have all the guys, men and women that I interviewed. And they're not all my friends, of course. I didn't like all of them. They didn't all like me. 
but that was close to about 400 people there through unlocking the cage. There were some other friends. Who were they? Who were they? This is like childhood friends. Then I have some friends from college. You know, everyone's a different relationship, but I forgot a very large group of people that's important to me, that's been important to my career, and that is my readers and listeners, the people that reach out to me. So I appreciate anyone that spends time to read my stuff or listen to me talk on here, but the people that reach out to me, that are always giving me encouragement, whether it's through social media or send me emails, all my newsletter subscribers that write into me, give me parenting advice, talk about you know personal stuff. I love that stuff. I consider you guys my friends. I do appreciate you. So I apologize for leaving you out last week. Right after I did it, I was like, oh, shit, how could I forget them? So what else? What else? How else did I screw up today? What else did I do wrong? No, I'm trying. I still have trying to stay at Ghostland to finish up reading. want to get that done today. I would like to maybe do a death scene or two, at least a rough draft, finish up one of these scenes from Death Fest, and begin the marketing. I already have it all set up. I know which program I'm going to be going through, trying to implement all the suggestions. So I'd like to get that started as well. And pick up my kids and make dinner. And that's about it. I do have a wonderful life. I'm very lucky. I'm very grateful for it. I'm thankful for all of you that are listening. I think I'm going to get the hell out of here and get some work done. I'm going to leave you guys with the story, Each Dawn I Die. That's narrated by T. Quillen. It's taken from the Twisted Reunion audiobook. I think you're going to dig it. Make sure you come back next week to check out the interview with Billy Graves from Slasher Sports Cinema. All right, guys. Hope you enjoy this story. I will talk to you next week. Peace. Each dawn, I die. The girl he called Laura buried her face in the pillow. Her crying returned to full-blown sobs. Vic stroked her shoulder and tried to shush her, wished he could remember her real name. She eased up a little with his touch. There you go. That's better, he said. It's not that I don't like you, but I gotta sleep by myself. She jerked away from him. It's nothing personal. She screamed into the pillow. I know. Vic stopped pretending with his nice voice. You need to get up. He grabbed the stained wipe-up towel and wrapped it around his waist. She peeled her face away from the pillow and looked at him, her face a black mess of smeared mascara. Sounding much younger than the 18 years she claimed, she asked, Where are you going now? Vic opened his bedroom door and called to George, who was passed out on the couch. Hey, I need you to help me out. No, no, I don't want anybody in here, the girl pleaded. George had been Vic's boy for nearly a decade. They'd met in Principal Jenner's office after getting caught buying ecstasy. George rubbed his eyes and ran a hand over his shaved head. Come on, lady, you gotta go. Oh my God, she said to Vic. You're such a jerk. Vic turned his face to her. I'm sorry, I have to get up early. George will take you home. I can't go home. I told my parents I'm staying at Amy's. Vic rolled his eyes at the ridiculousness. He needed to start doing a better job of checking IDs. As he headed for the bathroom, he told George, Handle this quietly, please. He could hear her yells with the door closed, even with the shower running.
The sound of the radio, though, made her disappear. When he walked out of the bathroom, she was still gone. He slipped on his boxers and fired up his laptop, opened the website. 15,000 views. Not bad for a half-dead fish in the sack, he thought. Vic had been running his site, maybe legal, for two years. The numbers had been on the uptick for the past nine months. All of Vic's girls were real. Real homely, real naive. Some were real ugly, but most importantly, they were real virgins. Virgins weren't easy to come by these days, but Vic made do by prowling the malls and local water park. Their first forays into porn were then broadcast to 53 countries. Vic got fan mail from all over, none stranger than one from a guy in Bulgaria, asking if he could shoot a video with a girl riding a G.I. Joe action figure. Three quick knocks at the door, and Vic jumped to his feet. He checked the eye hole. Too many of the girls came running back for their foam, panties, or just to see if he'd call them the next day. Most never wanted to see him again. He was shocked at how many did. George entered, his hand pressed to his ear, small trail of blood running down his neck. Stupid bitch. Vic asked, What the hell happened to you? She bit me, man. She fucking bit me. Bit you? Yeah. I was telling her how good she looked. Thought maybe I'd get some seconds, and then she fucking bit me. George went to the bathroom to clean up, and Vic laughed, grabbed an energy drink from the fridge. He cracked it open and took a long swig. Not really caring, he asked, She say anything? She said maybe five words the whole ride. Right here, left there. Didn't seem too happy. Well, can't please them all. George came out of the bathroom a few minutes later, three bandages awkwardly taped to his ear. His fat frame filled the doorway as he flicked on the light. Holy shit, it looks like you killed someone. Vic chuckled, took a swig, and sat down at his computer as George snapped photos of the bloody bedspread. George yanked off the old sheets, pulled a new pair of silk linens from the closet, and slid them onto the mattress. He smoothed them down, arranged the pillows. She any good? Eh, all right. He refreshed the website and said, Oh, shit. I guess no one cares. She got 34,347 views. Not bad for two hours. George shoved the old sheets in the trash bag, twirled it closed, tied the end in a knot. She was super hot, though. He nodded at the cabinet with the recording equipment. She know? I don't know. George joined Vic in the living room. Any new prospects? Yeah, this chick's dad's a pastor. Crazy. Every new girl guaranteed a few new members, but subscriptions were skyrocketing. Tonight, Laura had already brought in 74 at 20 bucks a pop. George shook his head, helped himself to the fridge. I don't know how the hell you'd do it. Vic wanted to say that it was because he made them feel special. But even he didn't believe that anymore. Got anything lined up for tomorrow? George plopped down on the couch, smacked his lips with each bite of yogurt. Need me to stick around, or uh, can I, um... He was interrupted by a pounding on the front door. Did you not lock the front gate? Vic asked. I did. I, I always do. Vic shook his head, got up from the computer, but reconsidered answering the door. See who it is. He headed into the bedroom. I'm not here. Another bang. 
George took another bite of yogurt. They're not here for me. Vic was too tired for this. How much do I pay you? You want to get a real job? George muttered under his breath and headed to the door. He opened it and said, He's not... An old woman in a dark brown dress barged across the threshold, back George to the wall without so much as a touch, her decrepit finger and long, brittle nails inches from his lips. He pointed towards the bedroom. Vic threw on his robe and barely beat the woman to the doorway, not wanting to get trapped in this room with her. The woman looked Middle Eastern, like her leathery brown skin had been blown dry by wind and sand. Her angry eyes were cold and red from tears. Vic motioned towards the door. You need to get out of here. The woman brought her hand to her mouth, spit in it, and flung the saliva toward Vic. She shouted something that he couldn't understand, but the hatred translated perfectly. Vic wiped the spit from his face, pushed the woman towards the front door. Get out of here before I call the cops, you psycho bitch. Vic looked at George, but George didn't move. The woman did, turning her back on Vic. She stopped next to George and spoke in broken English. You part of this? He shook his head and kicked the trash bag. Uh, I, I just clean up. Vic's face still felt wet, but his hand came away dry. Look, I'm calling the cops, he said, headed for the phone. So you better get the fuck out of here. The door slammed. The woman had already left, and George threw the deadbolt. Why did you let her in? Vic said. George's face was whiter than the time he thought he'd had testicular cancer. Who was she? Vic hurried to the sink and splashed water over his face. How the hell would I know? You, you've never seen her? There was a large Lebanese community on the south side of town, but Vic rarely went down there. Something about her seemed familiar, though. Maybe from a restaurant. I, I got no idea. George pointed to the computer. You probably screwed her granddaughter. That wasn't just some random nut job. Chill out. I bet you anything, George said. Vic waved him off and George grabbed the trash bag and camera. I'd be careful, Vic. She, she could come back. Maybe I'll have to get someone over here that can actually do something about it, Vic said as George left. Vic had hired George because he was big and didn't ask for much money. Maybe Vic needed to spend some serious cash for legitimate protection. The number of girls on the site had climbed to 63, and at least half a dozen of them probably had dads in the picture. Vic threw the deadbolt and walked over to the computer. He wasn't worried, but it'd be good just to make sure. Another fan had called him the Virgin Slayer. He liked that, thought about adding it to his masthead, then scrolled through the photos. He was three months deep when Becky's profile and bloody sheet popped up. She'd been his waitress. They'd gone out drinking. He'd brought her home. Waitress. Shit. The old woman had been at the counter. Becky had introduced her as her grandmother. George had been right. How had she found him here? Had Becky actually told her grandmother about what had happened? It had been three months ago. Vic couldn't sleep. His bedroom was pitch dark. There was a loud noise outside. It sounded like something scraping his shuttered bedroom window. It's not the old lady, he told himself, ashamed to even think something so stupid. He was on the third floor. It was probably a bird on a window ledge. Still, the old bitch had been in his head all night long. It was almost six o'clock. The sun was about to come up and he needed rest for a heavy day at the gym. 
Vic grabbed a pair of earplugs and a sleep mask from the nightstand. He had one earplug in when the scrape came again. Deeper and louder. Stop being a pussy. Vic pulled back the shutters and saw the first rays of light washing away the last of the pre-dawn shadows. He didn't see it right away. Not until the scraping continued. A tendril of black mist slowly swirling in the air on the other side of the window. Three beings took their forms, each floating. The one in the middle looked closest to human. A pale face wearing a black medieval doctor's mask. He wore a dark robe, his bony hand gripping a scalpel. On the other side of him were his henchmen, with heads of jackals and talons for hands. I'm fucking dreaming, Vic said aloud to snap himself out of the nightmare. The trio floated forward, seeped through the edges of the glass. Vic slammed the shutters, but the thick black mist poured through the cracks. They began to solidify, once again taking their previous forms. But the henchmen each grabbed an arm and dropped Vic onto the bed, pinning him down, their talons ripping through his flesh. The doctor produced a curved metal tube from his dusty robe, inserted it between Vic's lips. It clinked against Vic's teeth, tore into the back of his throat. Vic studied the doctor's pale, rotting face, searching the black sockets that should have held eyes. The beast's chuckle paralyzed Vic as the blood poured down his throat. The doctor whispered something unintelligible, produced a glass jar filled with spiders and scorpions scrambling over each other. He unscrewed the lid and held it to the tube. Vic's mind screamed as the creatures poured inside him. His body bucked against the, the henchmen who were holding him down. Soon, the container was empty. The death doctor tossed it aside. Vic never heard it hit the floor. He couldn't breathe. His windpipe clogged, and thousands of bristly feet finding their way up from every path, fire-filled stings blurring his thoughts. Vic had never wanted to die until this moment. He opened his eyes and found the death doctor's decaying face just inches from his own. His foul breath tinged with rotting meat seeped through the mask. He pulled the tube from Vic's throat, then slid a magnifying monocle from his robe, placed it where his right eyeball should have been. A small silver dot in the eye socket grew larger in the glass. The doctor pinched Vic's cheeks and peered down his swelling throat. Vic couldn't understand the doctor's words, but he recognized the language. It was the same nonsense as the old woman's, and he didn't have to speak the tongue to understand the evil dripping from those words. A distinctive metal click pulled Vic out of the panic. The doctor had just tapped the blade of the scalpel to the bedpost. Vic stayed conscious long enough to see his belly split open, the fading doctor and his henchmen smiling as the creatures skittered out from his intestines. Vic shot out of bed, his mind racing, trying to get his bearings. He was in his house, the house his parents had left him when they'd passed. He saw the tripod in the closet. It was all a dream, he thought, as he placed his feet on the floor. A sharp pain shot through his big toe. A shard of glass was sticking out of it. He plucked it out, looked at the ground. Dozens of spiders and scorpions were racing around the pile of broken glass. This was no dream. It was late afternoon. He opened his shirt, felt the stitches running down his chest. What the fuck, man? Maybe I'm still sleeping? But he wasn't. The blood trailing behind him as he pulled himself to the living room told him that. His computer was still up and running. Becky's profile was on the screen. 
but he turned it off, hadn't he? The old woman's laugh echoed in his head. Had she slipped him something? She'd gotten spit in his mouth. Maybe it had been laced. He ran back to the room, hoping the spiders and scorpions were gone. They were still crawling over his dirty underwear on the floor. The old bitch had done something. For the next few hours, he tried to figure out exactly what. He called George, but there was no answer, and his voicemail was full. Vic paced as Becky's eyes seemed to follow him around the room. Finally, he deleted her profile and videos. Still, he felt her judging from somewhere. He threw on his old jeans and a shirt and grabbed the gun under the sweaters in the closet. He got in his Porsche and drove to the alley across the street from where he dropped Becky off. It was dark except for the light in the girl's house. He didn't bother locking the car. The three fifty-seven tucked in his belt, the baggy shirt hiding it. He stepped in front of the white picket fence and stared at the snarling pit bull on the opposite side. The old woman's gravelly voice jolted Vic. She stood on the porch, staring at him through dark, cataract sunglasses. You came, she said, sounding pleased. Vic realized he hadn't thought about what to say. He felt silly and exposed out here on the street. It doesn't look like he likes me. Oh, he will. At least the taste of you. The old woman loved seeing him squirm. He couldn't show his true emotions. He had to be smart. Diplomatic. If that didn't work, there was always the gun. I need to see your granddaughter. I have no granddaughter. The young girl that works with you. She introduced us. That's why you came over. That's not why I came over. I want to apologize. It actually felt good to say that. But the look of disgust on the old woman's face made Vic want to shrivel up and disappear. You don't even know her real name. But suddenly you feel the need to apologize. Why? The girl's name came back to him. Gabby. Her name's Gabby. Gabrielle. I already took her off the website. I destroyed the recording. How thoughtful. The old woman spat on the ground. I can pay you. She deserves that. Five grand? That's the filthy money you make off of all those poor girls. Using them like they were trash. I didn't use them. I, I gave them... You lied to them. Look, I, I'm, I'm sorry if you think I... Can I please talk to her? The old woman shook her head. She didn't come down for breakfast one morning. I went to her room, saw the computer was on. There was a movie playing on the screen. I watched ten seconds of the filth and turned it off. I heard the water running. Gabriel was in the bathroom. The bath water was so red, I couldn't see her legs. She died as the sun came through the window. Vic placed his hand on the fence. He felt sick. The pit bull growled and leapt for his hand, snagging his knuckle. Vic jumped back. I'm so sorry. And you'll remain sorry for the rest of your life. There was no reasoning with her. The pit bull rammed itself against the fence. The beast was going to break through. Vic whipped out the gun as a black mist surrounded the woman. It flew at Vic, surrounding the gun until it pointed back at his own face. He felt his finger tensing. There was nothing he could do. The old lady said, There will be no end. 
the gun fired. Vic lifted his head from the piss-stained pillow in the abandoned house he'd been squatting in. It had been a solid six hours since his last death, his 76th in a row. The taste of hydrochloric acid sat on his tongue as Vic slipped out of bed and headed straight for the recording equipment piled on the moving box. Vic played the footage from last night and turned on the small monitor. On the screen, Vic moved around the dark room, then fell asleep on the bed. He fast-forwarded a few minutes and slowed it to where he rose to check the oncoming dawn. When his recorded self turned to the door, no one else could be seen on the video, but his body was miraculously lifted into the air and slammed onto the bed. There was no need to relive the experience. Vic turned everything off and headed into the bathroom. He grabbed a bottle of Listerine, filled his mouth, and gargled. He'd made the mistake of glancing at the mirror. He was only 24, but the dark bags under his eyes were getting bigger and blacker every day. His head full of dark brown hair had gone bone white and started falling out. He'd considered dyeing it and getting Rogaine, but what's the point? A few more dawns like this, and it'd all be gone. Maybe that was part of the curse, to end up looking like that damn woman. All he needed now were the liver spots. Vic spat the mouthwash out and grabbed his toothbrush. If the Listerine couldn't kill the taste of the acid, he doubted the toothpaste would help, but he gave it a shot. The sight of his emaciated arm moving back and forth made him break down and weep. He was falling apart. He'd lost over fifty pounds since the curse. With his withered frame, he could never again seduce a female, but that was the last thing he wanted now. He just wanted this to end. How nice it would be to fall back to sleep like a normal person and wake with the sun pouring through the window. He used to sleep in every morning. Now he was lucky to get a couple of hours of fitful rest each night. Vic threw on his jeans, put on the dark blue tank top that used to showcase his biceps, but now only exposed his atrophied arms. Death did not exist. Not for him. Whether it was the doctor and his henchmen, or by his own hand, the permanence of death couldn't happen. He tried everything. Slitting his wrists, jumping off skyscrapers, bridges. He'd driven his car off a cliff and eaten more bullets than he could remember. Sleeping pills didn't work either, always wearing off at first light. Vic had fled west in an attempt to escape the dawn, but the bastards had followed and flooded his throat with a steady flow of viscous oil. They lit it on fire in Illinois. They forced razor blades through his trachea in Albuquerque. Then the doctor took a chainsaw to his chest in Wyoming. There were the Dobermans in Cheyenne. Being ripped apart by dogs had been the worst. He'd lost everything within the first month. His house, his bank account, every one of his so-called friends after he shut down the website. He traveled around the country seeking out the girls he betrayed. Some forgave him. Most did not. It didn't matter where he was. Each dawn, he died. Usually he was alone. But a few times there were spectators. He avoided crowded places because the doctor never left witnesses. Good Samaritans, thinking he was having a grand mall, were torched and gutted. So... Vic stayed in the darkness. He ate whatever scraps he found in dumpsters, drank his belly full of cheap wine, hoping to numb the pain. But the doctor would leech his blood until he was sober enough to feel the blade. 
Vic prayed for natural causes to eventually strip him of his strength. Prayed the doctor would one day grow tired and find someone new. But each morning he'd rise and see that wretched son. This was his life. And it would never end. <laughs>